Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. In the last few years, we've seen a lot of fights over public sculptures, mostly sculptures that honor a racist past. But in San Jose, there's a bubbling debate over a sculpture intended to honor the city's Mexican-American heritage. It's a coiled snake that's a dull, earthy black. It's prominently placed on the south end of the Plaza de Cesar Chavez, a place where San Jose locals come to party, protest, and just hang out. Daniel Fonseca often walks through this park. He's an interior designer and musician who's lived in downtown San Jose for 20 years. I've probably heard this story before, but I keep... It hasn't stick to me, and I keep wondering what it means, what this okay. statue is about. That was the question, like, what does it mean, and what is the significance of it? I'm Jessica Placek, in for Olivia Allen Price. On this edition of Bay Curious, KQED's Rachel Myro went with Fonseca to learn more about that snake. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. So there is a plaque by the base of this sculpture, but as we'll explain later, it doesn't really do a good job of describing it. As we stand at the busy corner of San Carlos and Market, I ask Daniel Fonseca, who's originally from Colombia, what he thinks he knows about what we're looking at. I have a little bit of sense. I mean, it's related to the, to the Mexican-American community, to the Aztec community, I want to think. Uh, but I never really stare at it and spend time with it. and. Uh, find out what the significance of it is. I'm ashamed of saying that. <laughs> As I said it, I'm like, I shouldn't be saying that about myself. That's why we're meeting Scott Herhold, a retired columnist from the Mercury News who periodically conducts tours of the public art in downtown San Jose. He knows the backstory behind the backstory behind the backstory. That's true. I was here when they unveiled it in the fall of 1994. And there was uh, quite a ceremony, dancers. It's Quetzalcoatl, which is the Aztec god. Did you catch that? Quetzalcoatl, 
Aztec god of wind and wisdom, the feathered serpent, hails from Mesoamerican Teotihuacan. You've seen him or his name, whether you realize it or not, all over the place. On some Aeromexico planes, as a colorful monster in video games, even on Bay Area-made guitar chocolate bars. I tasted one for research purposes, and it was good. But what is Quetzalcoatl doing here, in this park? It's a complicated story with many layers. It starts back in the 1980s with the San Jose Redevelopment Agency wanting a statue to honor Thomas Fallon. Thomas who? One of the early mayors of San Jose. He was an adventurer, an Irishman, uh, one of the first Anglo settlers here. Uh, and in 1846, he, he raised the flag, the American flag. Remember, this was part of Mexico still. From that point on, of course, San Jose really has been Anglo rather than Mexican. Well, it's been Anglo and Mexican-American, but Anglos dominated San Jose's civic narrative for more than 100 years. In 1988, an artist was commissioned to create a tribute to Fallon. But the Mexican-American community hated the idea and forced the redevelopment agency to go back to the drawing board. A new committee was established to pick a new artist. They eventually settled on a man by the name of um, Robert Graham. Graham had originally um, designed some work for the redevelopment agency. He was also um, part Latino himself. His mother's name was Peña. So he's Robert Peña Graham, and he grew up here in San Jose. So he had a lot of connections. And the idea, his first drawings were of a, a winged serpent. And they liked it very much. It, it came out differently than they thought. So here's the part where we have to address what a large number of people see and say when they first lay eyes on this sculpture. Poop. It looks like coiled dog poop. Even if you know Quetzalcoatl is often depicted as a coiled rattlesnake, quadl meaning serpent in the Aztec language Nahuatl. Also, that plaque at the base of the sculpture doesn't describe what you're looking at. It talks about Quetzalcoatl, the plumed serpent. But this is no plumed serpent, and that's just confusing. Herhold explains to us the plaque is speaking to Graham's original concept. The winged serpent showed him sort of upright with the wings out. Um, think almost of a peacock. It had that kind of feel to it. So the sculpture was, was made? No, about six weeks before the, the unveiling, uh, Graham told him that his concept had changed, that he was not going to do the winged serpent anymore. Instead, he was going to do a, a tightly coiled piece of art that became this. Did he explain why he wanted to switch? Not really. I mean, it was a, a, just a change in his artistic conception. I should stop here and tell you that's not what Blanca Alvarado remembers. The now-retired San Jose politician was on the committee that worked with Graham, and her narrative differs from Herhold's. I think uh, Scott and I need a little bit of time, and he needs a little more education so that as he describes the piece on his tour, he'll be better informed. Alvarado says she also preferred Graham's first winged take on Quetzalcoatl, but she says that was axed by the redevelopment agency. It was worried that his domed pedestal would attract the wrong crowd. It was quite elegant. It was a very, very beautiful piece. But the redevelopment agency, oh no, you can't build that at 
Plaza Park, as it was called at that time, because the homeless will sleep under it. And he was very frustrated by that objection on the part of the administration. And so he went to Mexico, and he stood there for three months at Teotihuacan. And so he studied the stonework and the statues to the plume serpent. You can Google it. The coiled, stylized rattlesnake version of Quetzalcoatl was a thing, is a thing. Graham made a small one as a gift for Alvarado, and it now sits in her backyard. She doesn't know what material he used for hers, but it's green, the color of oxidized copper, and it's quite lovely. The thing is, Graham opted for plaster of Paris for the plaza sculpture, and coiled as it is, it suggests something else. Intentionally so? That is an open question. I suppose it's worth saying that this guy, Graham, is very, very famous. He's done many much-loved public uh, sculptures and art pieces all over the country. He has. This is not his best work. This is not his best work. Well, so tell me why you think that. (laughs) Because I think it's fundamentally an act of revenge. Whoa, wait, what? Is Herhold telling us Graham wanted revenge because his fabulous proposal for a winged serpent got the axe? No. Herhold thinks it's revenge for an entirely different project. Robert Graham had uh, designed, uh, as I mentioned, some work for the redevelopment agency. The idea initially was that there were going to be gateways on the four sides of downtown. So one on the south, one on the west, one on the north, and one on the east. And Graham had designed these gateways. uh, And, you know, the redevelopment agency showed uh, the media pictures of this. And the Mercury News in particular sort of said thumbs down to this. This is a silly idea, these gateways. So Graham had to withdraw that idea. And the feeling, at least among the redevelopment agency people I know, was that this was his act of revenge for the loss of that earlier commission. How can we be sure that it is indeed an act of revenge? I don't think you can be sure. Graham is now dead. Uh, And as far as I know, he never specifically said this is an act of revenge. But I can tell you that The people I know who are very well placed in the redevelopment agency and also close to his mother believe that, in fact, this was his revenge. That prompts this response from our Bay Curious question asker, Daniel Fonseca. If it was an act of revenge, I think he was very well captured, you know, because, like, that is the first reaction. Poop. (laughs) I occasionally do some tours of downtown, and this is where I usually end it with, with the story I've told you. And people say, oh, now I get it. Like, this is going to have an expiration date. What would, it, what would it look like when that happens? What would it be like? Well, I mean, you, you can answer that, I guess, physically, or you can answer it politically. I think that people want to keep some sort of recognition of Quetzalcoatl. I like this not because of it's a great piece of art, but because it has a story behind it. There must be a way to elevate the significance of this sculpture. Uh, to, to kind of like, you know, not no, no have that poop thought be the first thing that you think. On that score, at least, Blanca Alvarado agrees. It needs some sprucing up. And I was hoping that somebody might consider trying to redo the original intent to the extent that that's possible. The sculpture was recently power washed, and according to San Jose's Cultural Affairs Department, that's all it's going to get for the foreseeable future. But 
Alvarado is a veteran political activist, and she says she's fixing to get busy at City Hall, pushing for some imaginative improvement to the installation. Next time you're in the neighborhood, go check it out for yourself and let us know what you think. Hey, Rachel, one last question. Yeah? Uh, what's the music you've been playing? Isn't cumbia from Colombia, not Mexico? Right. But it's really international now. Our question asker, Daniel Fonseca, is also a drummer, heavily involved with the local cumbia scene, and he recommended this song, San Juan, by the Bay Area-based band Los Leones de la Cumbia. Thanks for that story, Rachel. My pleasure. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Jessica Placek. Thanks for listening. San Juan, San Benito, y San Pachito, y San Jose. Esta tierra mía, compadre, donde yo me crié. San Juan, San Benito, y San Pachito, y San Jose. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.